guys, my name is Jessica. Welcome to Unveiling the Scriptures podcast with Pastor Steve Curtis and Jared Curtis. Grab your Bibles as they open up to Revelation chapter 3. Welcome back to another episode of the Unveiling the Scriptures podcast, and we're going to continue our conversation through the book of Revelation. Uh, We have made our way through the first six churches that Jesus addresses in this letter um, as he's presenting it to John, giving it to him to take to the churches. And this evening, we're going to jump into the discussion uh, about the Church of Laodicea, which I think is probably one of the more popular ones of the seven churches that we're a little more familiar with. There's a couple verses um, that we read at the end of the uh, chapter three that are pretty popular verses, verses that people, you know, Jesus talking about standing at the door and knocking and and the uh, rather be cold or warm, but they were or cold or hot, but they were lukewarm. And, and so I know we'll discuss all of that before we jump into um, talking about this specific church, would you like to do a quick uh, recap of the six leading up to it? Yeah, I want to make mention about these churches. First of all, as we've already said, these churches are individual churches uh, that Jesus is writing to, and and some of them he gives a commendation and a condemnation. Some he gives commendation, some he just gives condemnation, like the one we'll be, be dealing with today. And we can learn from these Uh, these uh, messages that Jesus has given to them. But I also believe that on a bigger scale or a wider scale, that these churches represent the church age. This church age is is the, the age of grace, they call it, the time of the Gentiles. That happens right before chapter four, which I believe is a picture of the rapture of the church or the church being taken out of the earth, off the earth, into the throne room of heaven. Uh, So let me quickly go over these churches. Again, the church of Ephesus was a church uh, that were doing a lot of good things, but they lost their first love, and they were encouraged to remember uh, where they had fallen. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, and then repent. And many of these churches are encouraged to repent, change your mind, go another direction. And uh, then the church of Smyrna, which was a small church and a persecuted church, Uh, And they thought they were poor, but Jesus said, you're really rich. And then we looked at the church of Pergamum, which was a compromising church. They compromised on God's truth and they compromised uh, and, and, and uh, they were a people who uh, again were encouraged to repent. Uh, And, um, and then the church of Thyatira, which was a church that allowed sin Uh, in its presence and allowed sin, and they tolerated sin. And then we looked at the church of Sardis, and the church of Sardis was considered the dead church. And then Philadelphia, which was a wonderful church. It was a church uh, that is what they called the church of the open door. Uh, They were given opportunity. They they walked through that open door. Uh, They were encouraged to hold fast uh, uh, what you have so that no one may seize your crown in other words, and then he says, uh, the one who conquers are the believers, and he tells them, you know, incredible things. I will make him a pillar of the temple of my God, uh, and uh, just some great things in that church. I encourage you to go back and read them, and then, and also um, uh, maybe even listen to the podcast, and I believe that you'll have a better understanding uh, not you, but those that are listening. <laughs> you <laughs> well, need maybe to do Hey, yeah. I'll, I'll listen uh, to them. <laughs> and then we come to this church, the last church uh, that Jesus addresses. And it's also, I believe, the end of the church age. Because when we, when we segue into chapter 4, uh, we'll notice that John is, is leaving this earth, leaving the churches, and he's taken into the presence of the throne room of God. So let's let's pray if you if you would, and we can get right into the Certainly. church of Laodicea. 
Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to read your word. And I know that, Father, when we go through uh, your word, that uh, there'll be many things that we, we're going to guess at or that we think about. There'll be many things we're sure about. Uh, but we pray that, Father, as we go through this, this church and look at your word, that, Father, the Spirit of God would be our teacher tonight, that he would be the one that would teach us and draw us close to you. So, Father, we pray that you would work uh, in a powerful way this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church of Laodicea. Now, I would also like to, right before we, we jump into that, I think it's very important for us to also make note that at the very beginning of this letter, that Jesus paints this incredible picture of himself for for John, right? He shows up and this is what John sees. And John writes down all of these things that he sees. And there's a lot of really great imagery, but it's not imagery just for the sake of, of being interesting or being um, extravagant. Instead, what Jesus does through what he reveals to John by the image is he sets the stage for the different, as you've put it, the different Christ's of the church, the different Jesus um, of the churches. And we get to see this holistic uh, impact and infusion of Jesus into each one of these churches and, and how he deals with it because the church is the body of Christ. He cares for the church. It's his bride. And so we see how he, how he interacts with each one. It's the ones who he was um, giving the, the, the commendations and building up and, and showing that, that um, encouragement and love. And, and then the other ones where he had to kind of call them on the table and say, this, is, this has to end, this has to stop, there, there has to be a change. And so it's not, it's not even a, a picture of, it's not just a letter to the churches, but at the very beginning, Jesus makes clear who he is and then he shows us how he relates to the church, his relationship to the church and how he's in the midst of the church and how it needs to be about him. And so we see the different pictures of Jesus in all of these churches. And then we come in to uh, verse 14 of chapter three, introducing the church of Laodicea and, and it opens in the same manner, right? So at the beginning of every, um, every message to the church, we get first see Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's the first thing we see is, is Jesus. And so here in verse 14. And they're drawn from chapter 1, mm -hmm. verses 12 through 18, that gives John a vision of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then each of, the, uh, uh, each of the characteristics that are given are attributed to, as you said, to the different churches here. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and it's really it's great to see that connection to where there's a tie to there's a tie between Christ and the church. It's not, there's not this separation. There's not this Jesus here, the church here. It's this, this connection and how they're interwoven and how you see this great picture of Jesus. And as you see this great picture of Jesus, understand that this is the same Jesus that's operating in these churches. And so he says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Do yeah, yeah. These, this is interesting. The There's words a whole lot of the going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, um, and the beginning of God's creation. You got to be careful there, because that could be translated the ruler of God's creation. He's in fact, because if you read Colossians one verses sixteen through eighteen, you read about how Jesus actually is the Creator. He is the the Lord, the invisible manifestation, or excuse me, the visible manifestation of who God is. And uh, some some cults will get a hold of this verse, and they'll say the beginning of God's creation. Well, he was created. No, Jesus was not created. Uh, and, and the proper translation basically is the ruler, uh, the one that is dominant over God's creation. And so... Um, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. He is the true one. He is the right one. He's going to be exposing this church uh, to things that aren't right. And the, the only one that can expose truth 
to a people who are not possessing or practicing truth is a one who is truth. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Any other thoughts on that? Well, and then I think if we go back to John's gospel, where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And everything was, we know that everything was created through him, and then that Word became flesh. So again, there's a there's this this picture of Jesus who is, the totality of all that God is, we see a human form. He is the word, he's the spirit, he's the breath of God. He is scripture in a personified suit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yours yeah. sounds better. We'll do that instead of flesh suit. Let's go with personified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but he really is the embodiment of, of all that's in these pages from Genesis on through to this point. And so to me, if I'm if I'm the church of Laodicea and the message that's coming to me starts with this. I'm going to be a little nervous because right away, the God of the universe decided that it's necessary for me to remind you that the one who is speaking to you now is the beginning of everything faithful and true. And we hear the word faithful and faithful. um, We like to make it. You like that? Say I'm over here like beatboxing in my microphone. But the word faithful, it's real easy for us to kind of soften some of these Bible words. Mm-hmm. And when we hear faithful, we think of, you know, flowery, pretty, mm-hmm. happy thoughts. But what faithful means is that he's going to stay true to his word. Mm-hmm. He's going to be honest. And so now we're talking about the one who is truthful, who is the beginning who is the 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 point where everything starts? Why why do you want to start our conversation that way? That's scary. Mm-hmm. Well, because he has a uh, a stern uh, word for them. I, I guess that's the best thing I can come up with a, a condemnation. Uh, see, here's what I believe about all these churches. I believe they all started out well. I believe they were churches uh, that started in cities. And understand, it's not like here in America where if I don't like this church, I can go to the one down, you know, down the road. This was the only, only deal in town. Mm-hmm. This, they, this was the church, the only church in Laodicea or Sardis or wherever they were. And, uh, and so, and so when, when Jesus addresses these churches— he is, you know, they, I believe they started out as being, you know, uh, uh, churches that honored him. However, you know what happens over time? If we don't stay true to God's word, if we don't stay true to the Bible, there's this, there's this um, automatic, I guess, drift within human nature mm-hmm. that we, we drift from what's true. We, we kind of slide away from the truth and we begin to justify our ideas and what we think is best. And so Jesus starts out saying, wait a minute, let me bring you back to who's true. Let me bring you back to uh, uh, who, who is faithful, been there the whole time, stood strong the whole time. Uh, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler, the one who is in charge of all of God's creation. I've got to talk to you about something that's that's slipped away from you. So we go, anything else on yeah, that? Go, no, go on. So he goes on and he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were e- either cold or hot. I didn't say that right, did I? You are neither cold nor hot. <laughs> Would that you were either cold nor hot. Would that you were e- either cold or hot. So that because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty, pretty uh, harsh uh, attack on this church. Um, and a lot of times this has been, you know, translated in many churches is that God would rather you be either ice cold, don't care about him, you know, just kind of doing your own thing away from God, millions of miles away from God, or, or 
that you would be red hot on fire for <laughs> Jesus. You know what that means, right? And and that's not what I believe that it's sounds, saying. That sounds like Jesus' message. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, think about the times when he, when he says, "Pick up your cross and follow me." I mean, if you're not going to do that, then just go be a hellion, and I'll be happy with right. that. Right? <laughs> just do one of the two. Either, either, either. Just go live wild, mm-hmm. or follow mm-hmm. me. Just don't be in between. That sounds like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that fits well, his message. What Jesus would often do, though, is he would look at that city or look at the culture and look at what kind of, you know, what kind of industry they have, what kind of uh, religions maybe or mm-hmm. uh, pagan temples may be there. And he would use those to bring home a real truth that he had to bring uh, for them. And, he, and so what we know about um, this church is that uh, they were a very rich church. And one of the things that they did was they, they piped in water, okay? About, uh, I think it's 10 miles to the north was a place called Hierapolis. And uh, there they would, they, they would pipe in this, they had these, um, what do you call them? Uh, the, were the water? The, the aqueducts? No, not the aqueducts, but the the, springs? The, the the hot springs, hot basically. Springs. And so they would they say, "Hey, we got an idea. We're we've we've got our already made water heater, okay? So we're gonna we're gonna create and they created these stone aqueducts and they and they piped them up to Hierapolis and they said, "Hey, we're gonna have hot water." <clears throat> and then in Colossae there was the cold weather. I think it's six miles to the east i'm not sure but anyway the cold water so they said hey you know we'll have a hot water spigot and a cold water (laughs) spigot and so what we'll do is we'll pipe this water in on these on these uh what these stone-like aqueducts well that's a great idea but by the time the water reached laodicea from from either the the uh hierapolis where the where the where the hot water was or, or Colossae, where the cold water was, it, it had gone through these stone pipes and <clears throat> all kinds of uh, carbonite, whatever the word is there, <laughs> that were, had been in it. And by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. It wasn't very good. It, it, it literally made people throw up when they would drink it. And I, that's what Jesus, I believe, was addressing here. Because there's value in cold and there's value in hot. Yes. <clears throat> if you... For me, if I drink water, I would rather it be cold, you know, than hot. And I, I can drink lukewarm water, but I would rather mm-hmm. cold water, especially if I'm thirsty. And <laughs> if I'm drinking coffee, there is no way I'm drinking cold <laughs> coffee. I don't care about that at all. That, so, that is true. That so, you, you definitely don't do that. <laughs> so there's value. There's value in the cold water. There's value in, in cold things, you know. And then there's value in hot things. And I think that's what Jesus was referring to here. And he says, but because you're like that water that runs through these stone aqueducts, that's chalky to the taste. Mm-hmm. And when you drink it, it actually makes you sick to your stomach. He says, I look at this church, I look at your works, and I see you like that. And so the works that I see are not genuine. They're not cold or hot they're not good for anything <clears throat> they're hypocritical and i see these works and they really make me sick to my stomach well and I, it sounds like based on on what you've shared that it's really so much more than than jesus providing a picture of you know i took a swig of water and i'm like oh that's not good and i spit it out mm-hmm. but he's literally the picture is of literally becoming sick yeah of Vomit. He's yeah, yeah. He's he is disgusted by by what he has seen from this church, and I mean, think about that for a second. Jesus says, "I know your works," and he says that your your works make me sick. That that would have to be terrifying for a church because and i agree with you i mean i don't know that any church i don't know that any church i shouldn't say any but i think it's safe to assume that the majority of churches that start whether it's in america um certainly lands where there's persecution and, and oppression and whatnot but i think they often start with the best 
intentions. Like they want to serve God and they want to see people come to know God and they want to see people grow. But like you said, it's kind of, you often talk about, um, I know when you do weddings and, or whenever you talk about relationships in church, you talk about how relationships left to themselves, they just naturally separate. And the same can be said for the church and the relationship with Christ. And so I would think that it would be pretty poignant, that it would hurt to hear from from the Christ that you serve, that you came together originally to follow and to hear him to hear him say, what you do makes me sick. Mm-hmm. I know that if if my if my wife sat me down and said, I need you to know that the things that you do, your behavior, your interactions with other people makes me want to vomit, that would hurt. Yeah. Like that would be yeah. hard to, yeah. to take. And so, and and as much as I love my wife, we're talking about the God in the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, so it's got to magnify it. Well, because again, churches start out loving, um, worshiping God. And what happens, I've seen it so often, and if you're not, if it's not careful, it can happen to any church. It, yeah. There's this drift, and what happens in the drift is people use a lot of religious language, a lot of church language, but what they're really doing is they're worshiping themselves. And so what's happening here is the people are hearing this, this, uh, this, this attack from Jesus, and they're thinking, well, I thought we were doing pretty good. And we'll read about yeah, that in just say, a minute. Let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and get into that next verse ahead, so we can see— yeah. Exactly what he, what Jesus says to him. He says in verse 17 of chapter 3, For you say, I am rich. For you say, not for you say, I am rich. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realize, realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may uh, that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Yeah, so I think we need to jump back into yeah. that verse well, seventeen because what he's doing is he's revealing to them. He he's basically saying, you know, that he understands their water system and all of that, and how he is translating that to the way that they their works, how they live, and then he goes on to say, "You fooling yourself." And I think this is what happens to a church that wants to serve God their way instead of his way. And for me, about, oh, I guess, 10 years ago or so, I, I, I came to the, the personal point in my life where I didn't want to serve God the way that everybody else did. I didn't want to serve God the way that was most popular. I didn't want to serve God the way that even made sense to me. I wanted to serve God the way, in a way where I would be fully surrendered to Him, and and for a church, you know, churches brag about growth that's not real growth, and they think they're looking and they're saying, you know, we're really doing something wonderful. We may be the biggest church in town. We may be the fastest growing church in the state, and when you when when you do a an internal investigation. You find that that's they may be growing in in one pastor I heard say a lot of churches don't grow they swell <laughs> they swell with members from other churches mm-hmm. and you know and so on you know they look good they're building the buildings they look wonderful everybody's showing up the place is packed but it's really more of a swelling than a real growth new people coming to Christ is, is not happening. It's just kind of, you know, we're grabbing from this church or grabbing from that church and that kind of thing. Uh, but he says here, he says, you have fooled yourself. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. I don't need a need, need a thing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable or miserable poor, blind, and naked. And so what he does is he does a diagnosis. 
He said, you make me sick, and here's why. Because you think you're something you're not. You think you're, you know, because of whatever measurements you have set, that you really made an impact for, for me. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. In fact, what you're doing is is sickening. Well, and I, I think that it's important also to, to point out that it, so it's easy for us to, uh, to look at, generally speaking, look at the churches that from a, uh, from a business standpoint are very successful and to say, hey, just because you have you know, a ton of people coming into your church building on a weekend, um, filling your parking lots, filling your seats, your pews, whatever, that you're successful and and that is not a measurement out of scripture but i think it's also important to point this out that it's easy for us to kind of default to the other side well we're a real church because there's 20 of us right and we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't and it's like you're still not getting it right you're right. still not getting it. Yeah, we because, suffer for Jesus. Right. Yeah, you, right, can, right. you can equally be disgusting to Jesus in, in your us for no more when the focus is not Christ. Absolutely. As if you're, you know, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey church service, right? Yeah. That's just, mm-hmm. you're attracting everybody and because mm-hmm. you do some really entertaining things, right? I mean, the whole spectrum that it comes down to, and this is where Jesus is hammering away, is that, you know, you do all of this and you think because you do all of this that you're okay Mm -hmm. and you're still missing the mark. And these words that, like, when we read these words, it should bring stories of Scripture to mind as we talk through them. To me, whenever you see the word naked, I always, for whatever reason, go back to the Garden of Eden. And when they realize that they were naked, they didn't know they were naked until they disobeyed God. And so what's happening here is Jesus is giving this picture of, of back when Adam and Eve separated themselves from God by deciding to not have God the center of their obedience, the center of their surrender, but to allow this idea presented by the serpent to infect their thought process and for them to follow along with it and willingly sever ties with God. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, you have positioned yourself just like they did. You have severed your, I mean, you can sing all the songs you want. You can do all the rituals you want to, but you're disgusting because you, you're not worshiping me. Mm-hmm. Like what right. you're doing is not me. And then, and then, see, let's move on. Well, what I love about the next part, he does, he does identify the issue, identify the problem, and he uses terms uh, that have to do with their culture and their community and where they live. But what he does here is, I love this, that in the midst of their self-centeredness, in the midst of their almost self-worship, he still loves them. Mm-hmm. And he says, there's a better way out. In other words, you don't have to go down this road anymore. You don't have to drift into your own self-centeredness uh, or selfishness. Look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And so he says, there's a better way. You can come back. You can, you can, um, you can remedy this lukewarmness that's, that's infiltrated your ranks. And he says, I counsel you to buy. Now, when he says that, he's not, he's not talking about literally buying something, except for the only exchange he says that you need to make is 
your old self-righteousness, your sin for my righteousness and, and my forgiveness and my reconciliation and my restoration. <clears throat> and so he goes and he says, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. In other words, invest in what I'm teaching you. Because what I'm teaching you is, is, is of the greatest value. And, and I'm just going to say these, and you can come back and, and comment on these if you'd like. Um, and then the white garments. In other words, that when, you know, the, the white garments is the picture of what Christ does for us when we become believers. He gives us, takes off the old robe we used to sing as a kid and puts on the new white robe, the white robe of not our righteousness, because Isaiah tells us that our righteousness are as filthy rags, but the white robe of the righteousness of Christ. Christ we wear. He's saying, he says, you're valued because you're part of me, you're with me, because you're putting on my clothes. And then he says, um, and the shame, excuse me, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. In other words, I will cover that shamefulness, that sin brought into your life. And then he says, the salve. Now, in uh, one of the big uh, some of the big industries that were going on in Laodicea, one of them was this black, um, I think it's glossy wool that they would sell. Also, they were big in ophthalmology, and they had they had this eye salve that was supposed to help, you know, diseased eyes and hurt eyes. And uh, and and so he says, but what I need you to do, I need you to see first of all who you really are, and then when you and the way you do that is to begin to see life, begin to see yourselves the way I see you. Put on my eye salve so that you may see. So you might have a comment on those those uh, those counts those words of counsel that he has given. So I think with with white garments, um, when you look at refined gold by fire, you're talking about purification. You're talking about purity, cleanliness. You're, and so Jesus, it, this is kind of crazy Like if we think about it for a second. So Jesus is saying all these things that you do in my name that are not about me are disgusting. They're dirty. They're poor. They're, they're pitiable. They're wretched, naked, things that will put under the list of bad, right? Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. What I want you to get from me is I want you to be purified by what I do, not by these things that you claim to do in my name, that you think you're doing in my name, that you think are 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 beneficial or 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 positive or good or whatever, but but they're not because again, you're you're lukewarm. What you do makes me sick. So put that away. It's not just a you're doing disgusting things, I hate you and I want to crush you. Okay, so I want you to stop doing that, and I want you to surrender to me. I want you to buy from me the refined gold. Let me purify you. Let me cover you. And what's going to happen as I do that, then you're going to be prepared to do what it is I want you to do. And then you will be my church. You will be my bride. You will You will do what it is that I want you to do, and you will no longer be wrapped up in these things that don't matter that again, aren't just Jesus isn't saying, I don't like them. He's saying they're disgusting. So I want to take you from disgusting to pure. Like we were saying earlier, I, I believe they started loving God, wanting to follow Christ, to be his bride, to be his example, to be his, his light to the people in the area of Laodicea. But they move from that, and he says, well, now I want to bring you back, and I want you to really look like me. I want you really to carry the purity that I have for you. Let me refine you. Let me put that garment on you. See, see through my eyes. Let me allow, well, and let, let me, me allow you, you to sight. see. Yeah. yeah, let me allow you to see what's going on, because clearly, you're not. based on your vision, you're not getting right. it. Right. And so, and so it's this, again, this, this call to cleanliness this I, and here's where you are but i don't want you to stay there i want to bring you here and then he goes on um, he in the following how, verse how yeah. it happens and i love this because this is the kind of 
again, I'm, I'm going to kind of take a big, big stand, stand away and look at the big picture of the church age. And I believe as the church age is coming to a close, that one of the most merciful, gracious thing that Jesus does is listed in these next few verses. He gives them an opportunity to leave their wrong way of thinking and follow him fully. He gives them an opportunity. One more time, he inserts grace in the picture. Mm-hmm. Look, listen to what he says. He says, um, those whom I love. Now, this church is, they make me sick, but I still love you. Mm-hmm. You know, He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. I mean, that, that has to do with uh, having excitement towards it. Be excited about it. And then he says, about what? Something that we never hardly use in our churches today. When's the last time you heard someone get excited about repentance? <laughs> you know, I can't wait to repent. But, but that's what he's saying. Be zealous and repent. And what's that word mean? It's, it's a Greek word that simply means a ch- it's a changing of your mind. It's, a, it's, you know, if I'm heading east, I turn around and head west. It's, um, it's saying, God, uh, I no longer think that what I want to do and what I want to say and what I think is right is right. I surrender to the fact that what you say is right. As Jesus said, I deny myself, take up my cross, and I fully follow Christ. So repentance has to do with it, has to do with uh, turning, turning uh, totally around and following Christ. So he says to be zealous and repent. And I think that's interesting because our human nature tells us that repentance is is a miserable thing. Our yeah. human nature says that to what you're suggesting is that I I just I become something I'm not. Yeah. Because what you're being isn't good. Right, <laughs> like, right. And that, that's the idea. Yeah. And so what Jesus is saying is that so in the midst of repentance, there should be an excitement. Not that it's going to be easy mm-hmm. because we still fight that human nature. Paul tells us all about it in Romans, right? We, the, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And right, this constant battle that takes place. But in the midst of repentance, when we know that this is what God's calling us, he's calling us back calling our focus back to him he's 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 telling us that he wants to once again cover us in this purity in his purity not that we've lost what he's done for us but man we like to muddy ourselves up and he's like let no come back over here let me redirect your 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 path let me redirect your your focus turn you and be excited about that because what is happening. So to go back to what I was saying in the beginning, you know, when Jesus starts by talking about who he is, his power, his authority, him being the beginning of all creation, and then he comes at you with this, you make me sick. But it's that same Jesus who from the beginning has this power, this authority. He is faithful. He's not only faithful to say, here's where you're wrong. He's faithful to walk you through the repentance process. Yeah, I think one of the false teachings that um, that arise in church today, it's a real subtle one, and that is that uh, we all have good within us, that, um, that, you know, all you got to do is dig deeper, and then you find who you really are. If that were true, and churches, are te- they teach that all over the place, you know, they teach you to believe in yourself when Jesus says, deny yourself. They, they teach you to follow your heart when Jesus says, no, your heart's wicked. Who can know it? Follow me. And, and when we teach people that, so you see, the truth is, if, if that's true, if there's somewhere deep down within us, all we have to do is dig far enough and we'll find this, you know, this goodness then Jesus didn't need to come and die on the cross. Right. He came to die on the cross for, because for there is no right, none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
And so what we've received is, is not what we deserve. We've received new life. And what he's saying to this church is, he says, I, I don't want you to clean up your act. I don't want you to turn over a new leaf. I don't want you to, to you know, uh, put on, you know, just put on a new act. He says, I want you to repent. Change your mind about who you are. Change your mind about what you think. And I want you to think my thoughts. In other words, mm-hmm. I want you to follow me with all my, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why? Look at these next verses. Because when we repent, uh, we, we put ourselves in a place for a relationship with him, for fellowship. And these next verses talk about that. Verse 20 of, of chapter 3, listen to what Jesus says. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant. I like this verse. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That means he will rule and reign with me. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, and I think what Jesus is doing, I think this is an intimate moment. Because I think what Jesus is doing is saying, if you repent, if you zealously repent, here's, here's the benefit. He says, behold, take a look. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and whether if you repent and you open the door and you let me into your life, uh, there's there I will have a intimate fellowship with you. I will be with you. I will talk with you. I will walk with you. I will be a part of your life. I love this. And again, as it comes to the end of the church age or even this church, he's saying, I think one more time, before this age ends, you know, open the door. Let me in into your life come into my life and and what will happen i love this what will happen is you will rule and reign with me and uh, so well and not based on what you do so here here's correct. a really great example of you know jesus doesn't say i'm standing outside open the door walk out to me right because when we think about repentance we we often think about again even this idea of okay well i have to repent i know what's wrong and i know what's right god's made that clear and so now i have to do this like i have to fight to get back to god when what jesus is telling him is i'm standing at the door so i'm i'm knocking when you open the door which isn't and we're not going to take this and and misuse bible and try to push a message into this there's nothing extra special about us opening the door it's about the minimal work that we possibly could do Mm -hmm. i mean we're turning the doorknob and we're opening the door Mm -hmm. okay so let's not try to make that anything that it's not that's not the key is of course you have to surrender Mm -hmm. but that's it we open the door he comes in he eats with us and he places us on the throne grant him to sit with him on his throne Mm-hmm. Now, not our throne. So what this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking does for us is it shows us the the little power we have in the whole thing, in the whole experience of God moving us right to his throne, as he says here in the scripture. It, it really is us opening the door, which is just another picture of, of vulnerability, surrender, openness. Mm-hmm. The uh, the door's open. I have nothing else. I have nothing to hide. Come in. You are Jesus. Come into my house. And so by making that move, by that decision, I am now not only against, and this is, we talk about this often, but we, I think if we don't keep it in the forefront of our minds, we miss, we we limit in our minds how powerful God is. That it's not, God didn't save some okay people. Right. 
Right. right. So he saves us from our separation from God. He comes to us and brings us back to life spiritually and then sets us into his family. In this picture here, we're sitting in our home. We open the door. He knocks. We open the door and he moves us. So now this isn't a picture of salvation, right? Because this is the church that he's talking to. He's not talking about getting saved. But he is talking about a surrender to me so I can place you where I want you to be. Which which could be salvation too. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But there's a dual message here, I think. I think if you're a lost person and you hear that and and you you sense the, the pull of God's spirit on your life, then then oh, and the same thing happens. And the same yeah. thing happens. So but uh, and there's really what I see is a little bit of a prophetic message too. Because when he says, when he says, um, the one who conquers, we know that some translations say overcomer, or actually the one who are believers, mm-hmm. who trust to Christ, who Christ has saved, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's prophetic because, because we will rule, we are called kings and priests in the millennial age, and we will rule and reign with Christ. So what he's saying is, to those of you who repent, who who I will give the ability, I will give the the uh, uh, strength to repent. For those of you who who repent, come to me, follow me. One day you'll rule with me. For those who will come in and talk to me, and spend time with me, one day. At the end of all, and I'm just telling you what the scripture says, at the end of the horrible tribulation period, which we'll be getting into, I, you will rule and reign with me too when I return to this earth. So I, I mean, there's, there's, there are a couple applications of this, which you said is so true, but also there's a prophetic truth here that one day, you know, when Jesus comes to the earth, I'm not talking about the rapture of the church, but when he comes to the earth and sets up his millennial kingdom, that we, our roles will be to rule and reign with him. So what he's saying to this church is, you know, you know, understand the role that I want you to play. It's not about what you do. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how much you, 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 you put into this. It's about what you allow me to do through you. And one day you will rule and reign with me. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And unless I misunderstand this, I don't see the word church anymore after uh, chapter 3 of Revelation. Because although we're not going to go into chapter 4, he says, after this, I looked and behold the door. He talks about another door here, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So remember in, in, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, I'm going to tell you what, what, what was basically, mm-hmm. you know, the, the vision of Christ in chapter 1. I'm going to tell you what is, which is the church age, which we, when they, we live in right there, we live in here, and then... I'm going to take you to the throne room and Jesus is going to basically show you what's to come. Some amazing things. So I I love this transition that we see moving from the church into the throne room into basically this. Let me just say this. Jesus taking the deed to this planet. And just like we learned in the book of Joshua, Joshua, of course, is a Hebrew name for Jesus. When he went into the promised land and had to rid, you know, mm-hmm. part of the land so that the children could, could live there, Jesus will come to this planet and he will, he will have to purify it. So, and he will set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And there's more to it. But uh, I, I love this transition because... We go from from the churches and what's going on with the churches to worship in chapters 4 and 5. 
to war. And we'll, we'll kind of end there. So you want to close in prayer? Sounds good. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to repent. We thank you so much for knocking at the door of our hearts, for for pursuing us, for for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, you've made it clear that you love your church, that you love your people, that you've called your own, that you've called to you, that you have brought from death to life, and that you will not give up on us. You are faithful and true, faithful to your word. You will discipline us. You will reprove us. You will turn us in the direction. You will make us uncomfortable when we are not following you, but you promise to guide us and not leave us alone. You're not going to just point out where we're messing up and then leave us there to figure it out on our own because you know that that's what got us in that predicament to start with. But you guide us, you lead us, you love us as a heavenly father, only the way that only a heavenly father can. And we thank you for that so much. We thank you for your word and the opportunity that you give us to know your heart and to know and, and to and to know what it is that you have for us and the promises that you have for your church, God. So I ask that you continue to work this study in our hearts and in our lives and continue to reveal to us what it is that you would have us learn from your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast of Unveiling the Scriptures. We'll see you next time.